I am Ting En, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 1, where we interview mums who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. We want to hear stories, hopes, challenges, and tips from mums who are raising kids while pursuing their career aspirations. In this episode, we speak to Karen, who has an illustrious career in the Singapore public sector. In her most recent role as Smart Nation Director, she revamped the government's approach to tech talent cultivation and attraction. She is also advisor and coach to tech CEOs on operations, people, and strategy. Based in San Francisco for five years and counting, Karen is currently on a sabbatical to re-energize herself with two daughters, age five and three. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the Parents in Tech show. Let's start off. Can you tell us about your family? Yeah, it's an honor to be on your show. I am um, based in the Bay Area. I have two children, both girls. One is five and one is turning three this week. Very nice. Any exciting plans uh, for your younger daughter who is turning three? Definitely. Like Everything will be green. Her favorite color is green. So we have like a, a green birthday plan, green cake, green clothes. Everybody's wearing green, green balloons. Awesome. And are you guys going to invite, you know, her friends, your friends to come over to celebrate? I think that's something that uh, at least for us over here in Singapore, it's only a dream with all that uh, restrictions there in place. But, but tell us, how, how are you guys going to celebrate? And are there any restrictions that are placed on the party that's coming up? No, I mean, in... In the US, there's no, you know, restrictions. It's all up to you. You have full liberty. <laughs> and, how, and how do you feel about that as a mom? <laughs> I have to tell you, I think it was a lot more stressful in COVID to not have any of that to, you know, than to defer from friends. And a lot of these things became devolved to individual families to resolve. And that causes its own set of stresses. Right. But yeah, right. Different countries manage it differently. For us, we basically try and stick to a pod. And so the pot is coming over and then we might do something outdoors with a bigger group. Very nice. Very, very thoughtful. So you kind of get a nice balance of both. So tell me, Karen, how do you explain your job to your children when they ask you, mommy, what do you do at work? For one, they don't really ask me. (laughs) Um, They are more like, mommy, just come and play with me and live in my world. And so that presence is very important to them in what they are doing. But I have to tell you, I did, I did give a presentation to a bunch of AT kindergarteners on basically what is international trade and investment. And I had to like boil it down to the simplest concept. I was like, okay, you have all the cupcakes in the world and you have all the candy in the world. Like, okay, like how are we going to, you know, each get some, you know, what ratio are you going to trade them for? So, I mean, like these really simple concepts but I, I talk to them a lot about like what's important to me that's really amusing wait t- tell me how did you get to that setting where you were teaching kindergarten children on international trade <laughs> well you know I recently took a sabbatical right and I was like okay for the first time in my life I must try and be a parent volunteer you know like try and get to know everybody so when the teachers were asking like any parent wants to come and talk about work I was like me me and then I immediately regretted it. And then I had to talk myself down from all my fancy plans and end up on like ice cream and cookies or cupcakes and cookies. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yep, I guess PowerPoint slides uh, don't work too well. 
Now, Kevin, you mentioned about the sabbatical, which is really interesting. You have built a, a very successful career in the public sector, then in the intersection of public and private sector. It's almost like you were on this unstoppable momentum. Tell us more about the sabbatical. How did you come to decide that it was time for you to take a short break? I really enjoy working. And when I became a mom, I knew that I wanted to work. It was part of my calling, how I made. And I think it's not about time, it's about energy, right? So work gives me energy and I have energy like that to spend with my children. But if I'm really honest, and I think many parents would have felt this during COVID, I felt that my energy banks were depleting. Not only because it took a lot of energy to adapt to, you know, everything virtual and having teams in four time zones virtual. And my children being at home, wow, like 50% more, everything being cancelled, school being cancelled. And that energy was just dwindling on all sides. I felt that I wanted to get that back up. I needed to get into a new cycle, if you call it, of energy. And part of that for me was giving myself space. Because after, I mean, I definitely had a bunch of these job offers coming in. And I just knew that I needed to take space before making any decisions. As you were going through this, was there any fear around taking this sabbatical? That if you do it, oh, maybe it'll be hard to get back? Or were there any of these concerns that you might have had? That's a good question, actually. Let me tell you very Singaporean things, okay? And I think you would know. It's like, you get this to get to the next step, to get to the next step, and get to the next step. And there was really a people who loved me were saying, well, you've worked so hard. Like, this is the next opportunity to jump to. Like, why not? And I think that was definitely tempting to hear, right? And I thought long and hard about it. But ultimately, I... I saw this as valuing myself as a human. So whatever you've done in your life and who you are, no one can take that away from you, right? Not time. You don't want the people to work with the people who will say, you know, decide now or never, or I'll never work with you again. You know, like, do you want that type of people in your life anyway? <laughs> no. A lot of these things don't go away. Like, own what you have, own who you are, and value yourself, right? Wow. And I, that is hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. Because, yeah, these narratives are here. I was born and raised in our culture. But that was a decision that I had to make. Wow. But I think that's so true, right? It's to, to be confident of the experiences, the skills you have, and knowing that taking a break doesn't take it away. Right? I think that's a really, really a huge encouragement to those who, who might be thinking of taking a break. Right? And you mentioned some of the challenges when COVID happened. Your kids were at home. Teams were virtual, what part drained your energy the most? I think it was that any semblance of space disappeared. You know, I was taking calls at 5.30 a.m., 6, 7, and then at night, because I worked in London and Singapore time zone, I was also doing 9, 10, 11. Then in between, my husband and I were basically passing the children off to each other. Like, no, no, you, you're going for this. I'm doing it now. You're doing it. And, you know, we have no family support here. So literally, it's the two of us passing the children between us. I had no space to, mm. to even think. And I love to think. <laughs> and no space for myself. And so I think those were the things that really drained my energy. Not one thing in particular. It was the structure of life under such constraints. 
Yeah, thanks for that real sharing. I think that that whole passing is something that sort of my wife and I go through because we also don't have full-time help. So in the evenings when we have work to do, it's really like, okay, I got to take this meeting. Can you handle for one hour? And then this back and forth. I'm curious, Karen, have you considered getting, you know, like nannies or or help or was that perhaps not so much uh, within your consideration? Well, during COVID, we did not really want to have Hmm. help. Yeah. I think there was an additional worry about transmission and who else the nanny is working with. This was before vaccines, right? Mm. But I think towards the end, maybe like the start of this year when I was just very exhausted, we, we did have a nanny come in a few days to help, especially in the evenings. Yeah, definitely. I, I find that to be very helpful. Um, at least for me, mine, it's uh, having a helper from nine to five. So during office hours, I, I can get that focus. But Karen, as you think about this, and of course, being away from your extended family, what led you to make this decision to basically take your Singapore career and build it in a halfway across the world in the US? So my husband and I, we met in the US, actually. We met in college mm. and we have many, many college friends here. And when we left, we were actually very sad because it's 20 hours. You know, I think 40 of them flew over for our wedding. Wow. But it's really hard to keep in touch when you are far away. And so in the back of our minds, you're always like, hey, one day, let's make a plan to move back to the US. I didn't think about it very consciously then. That's part of this adventurous part of both of us. But I think we were also worried that if we stayed in Singapore too long in our 20s, um, 30s, we might end up making default choices about life, career, how we would spend our time, how we would raise our children. And I would say one thing that I've always noticed about the difference between Singapore and America is America is just a bigger country and there are so many different ways of living your life. And it feels like, okay, if you make this choice, like nobody's ever going to care. Whereas in Singapore, you go to like Chinese near and they're like, are you, you know, like when is your next kid coming? Like, no, what is this happening? And like, you might not care, but like there's this constant narrative of this one way to live, right? Hmm. And I guess we didn't really trust ourselves to be immune to that. And so we were like, hey, let's get out. (laughs) You mentioned default choices. Can you tell us a bit about what you have seen in terms of the default choices that people in Singapore or even broadly in in Asian cultures make, both in family as well as in their career, that you wanted to try something different about? Yeah, I say default choices, but of course, even within Singapore, there's, you know, especially recently, I just see many people making different choices. So, okay, like, I'm not stereotyping anyone here. It's changing, yes. The default choice for me would be to, let's say, both of us have full-time careers, hire a helper at home and then leave leave the children with a helper and grandparents in the day and really, you know, work long hours. I think in Singapore it's until what, seven? So at least no. in tech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seven at least, right? And even on nights and weekends, I used to be, you know, very chained to my iPad. Mm. I think there's a sense of yeah, you sacrifice a lot for work. And okay, entrepreneurs are breaking some of the mold of like let's let's keep accumulating, right? Like everything can be sacrificed for this career. Career is very important. Money is very important. Stability is important. So those are still important decisions, uh, considerations for many people. But I do think it becomes a little bit of a you know straitjacket on on folks after a while. Like for example, if you buy a private property, yes. like look at your mortgage, <laughs> you're basically tying yourself down to dual income, corporate big roles for life. So yes. you know some of these are also like structural incentives. People don't rent there. For example, all of us are renting here, right? These are structural things that lead to default choices. 
that was definitely one of the things I myself recently went through, right? Even things like a car that's so expensive over here, it just ties you down and creates that uh, financial burden and stress that, that leads you to make choices in a certain way. So Karen, as you and your husband were planning to move, where did kids fall into the picture? And when you did the move, did you already welcome your, your daughter into the world or, or not yet? We moved here when my older daughter was five months old. We knew we were going to move. So we said, do you want to move and then have kids there or have kids here and then move? We decided that we would have kids before we went. To be honest, I do not regret it because the support for mothers is much better in Singapore when, you know, postpartum, right? You have mm. confinement days, you have a lot of help, your friends are within like stone's throw away. My coworkers would like drop in every day and then like we would hang out or like, you know, just density of people. And it wasn't like, it wasn't hard compared to what my friends in the US go through because it's a lot less of a culture of having help for the mom. I had no regrets. And then I had my second kid over here a few years later. Okay, this is is really fascinating. So you moved over with a five-month-old daughter. Given that you had studied in the US, it's not new to you, but still it was a new environment at least, right? And you have been in Singapore for six years. Like, tell us a bit about the challenges that you went through with a, with a five-month-old, right? Because at that point, it's just constant caregiving. It's probably every three, four hours you need to feed, change the diapers. Yeah, t- tell us a bit more what, what that was like. Oh my, I feel like I've blocked out like some of the pain of them. All I can remember is the good stuff. <laughs> that's, 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 that's awesome. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I actually did part-time work for the first year because I said I'm really not sure I, I can do full-time and... And the role I was doing at first was experimental. And so it was like, well, let's try to part-time it. And that worked out well for me because then I had the flexibility to be there and figure out this whole parenting thing. And my husband was in PhD, so he was also having some flexibility. So we were figuring it out. And only after that year and after proving out some of the outcomes and the the model for operations, then it became full-time. I would say the hardest thing about moving country when you have a young kid is actually community. I think that's what is great about Singapore. Your whole community is there. But if you are trying to find new friends when you have a young kid and you have all these new constraints, bedtime, bedtime, things like that, it's actually very hard. So it was very lonely. I can imagine, right? Like there's just so many things on your mind and even stepping out of the house before kids, it used to be, okay, I just grab my phone, my wallet, car keys, and that's it. But now it's like, you got to pack diapers, you got to pack the milk, you got to pack extra clothes. There's just so many things that, you know, even stepping out of the house can be a whole uh, affair, right? Like going to the mall, I remember for me, was like going for a staycation. <laughs> a lot of bags. Those you days. Had to... I remember those days too, yeah. Yeah, but it's nice that you have now sort of moved on. <laughs> but I would say it's a different kind of fun and also a different uh, set of challenges around it. So Karen, you also mentioned a bit about your role. I realized that for some of our audience, they would love to find out how you built your career over here. Could you tell us what have you been up to um, since you moved to the US? So I moved over with the Smart Nation and Digital Government Group. And at first, it was experimental. It makes sense for the organization that oversees Tech for Singapore to have, you know, an outpost in the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is like the tech hub of the world. So let's see what is possible here. And, you know, I was also like, okay, let's see if it's possible. If it isn't possible, we can part ways. But things moved really, really fast. 
Um, I think it's because a combination of a few things. One of them is that 2016, you started to see really just the tip of companies coming up and Singapore actually becoming a legit destination for tech companies. So between 2016 and now, the explosion in engineering jobs in Singapore has been massive. Even adoption within the government. Like 2016, I would say like, what, maybe less than 100 now we're like going pushing 500, 600 and like going up to 1200, right? Like the idea of really being able to digitize healthcare and service delivery and every part of life is far from an illusion. And 2016 was the start. So one thing that really took off for me was in building the talent pipelines back to Singapore, not just in the recruitment sense, but also in all right, like the government does have a unique value proposition here for people who have already had very successful tech careers, right? Impact, being able to do something like SingPass, contact tracing, these are national level things that you can't do too much when you're in a big tech company. And so we started to see those pipelines shifting and then we had to ask, you know, it's one thing to attract them, it's another thing to retain and give a good experience, right? And so we ended up really looking deeply at, you know, compensation structures, progression, titling, things within an organization. And, and the government is not an easy organization for tech talent, of course, because it's a different, almost completely different operating principles. How do you bring that together? And so being part of that was very, very interesting. I was also asked then by EDB to come on board to look at the Singapore Global Network, which was less of a tech talent attraction thing than an alumni network for Singapore focusing on tech. And that's when I started working more with the private sector as well on their talent needs. And, you know, I founded the Singapore Tech Forum. It grew from, I think the first year we had 400 people. No, 700 people signed up. 400 people showed up. Second year, we had 1,300 people sign up. Last year, we had 7,000, something like that. And so wow. you can see the progression of interest. You know, Singapore is not insignificant anymore. People talk about it. VCs talk about it. You know, people are making their first investments in Singapore at a much higher rate than I ever have heard. So yeah, being able to make those connections and build that alumni network and, and test out the use case, that was a quick summary. This is so fascinating. It's almost like you were there at the inflection point. You sort of accelerated it and then you kind of created almost this movement, so to speak, right? Where, where there's this greater awareness that, hey, there's actually opportunities back at home that are very different, but just as interesting as those that you might find in Silicon Valley companies. You know, Karen, I'm sure you meet a lot, a lot of people. And just as you, you mentioned, right, in the thousands, um, just at a single event. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I definitely get energy from people. Okay. But, you know, Probably borderline. I, I need a lot of space by myself as well after I see people. Like you will find me hiking alone somewhere. Yeah, but I do I do enjoy people. I do really enjoy listening to people and understanding what makes them tick and helping them see the best in themselves. And for some of our audience who want to learn how to connect with people, and I'm trying to avoid the word networking because I think there's just a lot of negative stereotypes around it, but to just yeah. build genuine relationships and conversation. What is some of the advice that you would give to them? I think networking is a long game, a five-year oh. long game, in that it really does require you to not be too transactional about what you want and what you're, you know, I always offer something first. You know, what might this person be looking for? How can I help them a little bit? Even think about their interests, 
keep in touch with email once in a while. I mean, I think that's how we got in touch in the first place, right? I cannot yes. remember. Um, <laughs> some of my friends, I meet people and I think, oh, wow, this person might benefit from this introduction and I'll, I'll go out of my way to make it. Yeah, it's not transactional really, but the benefits of a network come two to five years down the road. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so much about the long game. And, and I love the part where you say it's not about the transaction because it just feels so like a quid pro quo kind of sense. But I think one of the things that I also hear, especially from those who are younger, it's I don't have anything to offer, right? Um, I love the point that you mentioned about offering value. So how do you advise some of us who think that way on how we can think about adding value or offering something? Well, yeah, yeah. I had a young person approach me and basically ask like, hey, I'm looking for an internship opportunity. And I thought back on the first time I met her three, four years ago. I'm going to help this person. And what did I appreciate about her? She didn't really offer me anything in the interim, but she just came across as a genuinely interested person who wanted to learn, who was not purely one track in her mind. Like, no, I just want to get this career thing and like, you're, you're, I'm making use of you towards it. No, like we had a very wide ranging conversation about how she thought about her studies. You know, she was doing urban studies and computer science, for example, about how she brought that together and why she was interested in my work. And I left with a good feeling about her, right? Mm. It was a sense of this is a person who... I'll be happy to invest in. Like she thinks hard about life, deeply about life. And so I'm going to help her. So it's not necessarily that you need to come in and give me something that I don't have. Because yeah, yeah, yeah not everybody's like that. But it's the thoughtfulness of the person. Absolutely. Um, I remember one of uh, my mentors telling me at the end of every conversation, it's not so much about what you say, but people remember how they feel about you. I'm sure if I ask you right now, the, over the conversation, probably most of it you have forgotten, but uh, at least as you share about how you feel about this, it's so clear that it was such a positive interaction. Mm-hmm. So Karen, it's really good to see you, you know, step up and emerge as this mentor, this coach, especially to the younger generation. How has being a parent shaped the way you mentor, you coach, you lead people? Well, I think that we all need someone who sees us for who we are and really honors that. And as a mom, I think about my daughters who are both wildly different, wildly different personalities. And obviously one is more like me. And as a boss, you always be worried that you only like people like you, right? So don't do that, right? Like the fact is these people have been given to me to steward and to call out. So when I think about people, I think about that, that all of them are quite uniquely made. Mm. What brings them energy? What makes them tick? What makes them excited? What they might need to work on? Everything is different. Like, let's not compare like apples and oranges in that sense. How do you really see this person and help them to be closer to the person that they were made to be? There's huge pressure sometimes to be a certain mold, right? These are the idols of society, but not all of us were made to be that way. And a lot of my own journey has been owning who I'm supposed to be and helping other people own that as well. I fully agree. You know, earlier we were just mentioning about how you wanted to step away from certain defaults. And I think that's one thing that it's changing in Singapore and in the region, but it's still quite present. It's a whole idea of comparison, right? It starts off with comparing what grades you get as a kid, what school you go to where you're slightly older, what job you get, how much you make, how prestigious it sounds. And then once you have kids, it's like, oh, how well are your kids doing, right? But to be able to, like you say, own it, I think that's so valuable and so important. So could you shed a bit of light, Karen, on how different both your daughters are and how you had to tailor your parenting style? Yeah. So my older daughter is 
probably what you would call an introvert. She will observe things for a long time before jumping in. And this has been the case since she was like two, right? She'll look and look and look and she won't be the first one to throw herself in. But when she does, she'll more or less figure, have figured it out. Mm. My younger daughter is extremely extroverted. Wherever is the action, she's there. She will leap before she looks and then she'll be like, oops. And then she will fall down and she won't cry. She's just like, oh, whatever. Like, let's move on. So, you know, that's very different personalities, right? Which one is better? None, right? Like, they just require some very different tailoring. I must appreciate both for what they are and also stretch them in the directions that they need to be stretched, hmm. but not really because I need them to be a certain way. I'll give you a very good example, right? Like, the teacher will say, yeah, you should get your older daughter to speak up more. If not, she will be washed away by the crowd of kids. And then I'm like, well, I get what you mean. And I'm going to like encourage her to put herself out there more. But she does not need to meet your standard of what it means to like be a good student. Because I don't think a good student is necessarily the one up there. Like, me, me, me. My husband is a pretty smart guy. Like, when he was a, he was a child, he sat outside tumble tots for six months and refused to go in. Because, you know, it just took him that long to warm up. And he turned out great. I love the very observant, analytical part of him. So true. I think the best way of describing what a parent should do is to really always, of course, be there, uncon- unconditional acceptance of the child, but also almost to unlock his or her potential right, in whatever shape, in whatever form that it might take. So, so Karen, tell me a bit about how you split the parenting workload or, or the, even the responsibilities or the styles between you and your husband. This is constantly shifting. Mm-hmm. You know, we are pretty equally split. I don't like to clean up. I don't like to fold. You know, he's the orderly one. So I'm in charge of creativity and he's in charge of ordering. <laughs> Very nice. So is he the disciplinarian or is it you or both? I mean, that's the part that I feel like we are constantly trying to align with because we bring whatever we came with. And I tend to be a bit more like, let's talk about it. Um, And he's like, no, like, yes, let's talk about it. But there are certain things that are just crossing the line. So like, you just come down on it first and then you talk about it. And so we are constantly like going back and forth like, hey, you know, there's no good guy and bad guy here. Okay, yeah, we are both going to be consistent and on the same page. There's no like crying to mommy that daddy did this or like daddy said no this, so come to mommy. There's no such thing. The parents have to be really aligned. And I think that is the foundation of stability for the child. I can't agree more. And I think that's going to be the challenge for me and my wife, but that's definitely the goal that we want to work towards, right? Not to play favorites and kind of be cohesive as one, right? So it's not like, oh, daddy or mommy is the lenient or lax one. And then the other one, it's almost like demonized um, as a result. You know, you are in the Bay Area. You are in Silicon Valley. You are in the heart of technology. Tell me about screen time. For your kids because this is the age where at least when i go out and see it can be sometimes the easiest uh, or the best pacifier so to speak like if you don't want them to run around or talk you just put an ipad put a screen in front of them and they can stay glued to it for hours what's your take on that i love screen time on airplanes that's the only thing that helps me survive that singapore sf flight like okay watch all the tv you want like, i'm not going to stop you do it <laughs> And I, I, you know, I just was found myself waiting for my three-year-old to be able to watch TV because like below, I don't think below one, they can pay attention to anything. So that is my one exception. Like they love lights for that reason. 
<laughs> you know, my husband and I, we just commented to each other last night, like, I mean, they hardly even asked for TV because they just so enjoy, like, playing with each other and playing with us. Oh, okay. Life is very different here, okay? Singapore, mm. go to malls, go out with your friends. I mean, here, much lower volume of social commitments. The children actually have us a lot more. Mm. This is just a lifestyle thing. Not, no judgment at all. Yeah. I think when we went to Singapore in August, we used quite a lot of screen time because our friends would come over and I'll like, turn on the TV. But like, yeah, it's like almost zero, really. I don't demonize it. I actually think like, it's good. Like, they learn quite a lot of interesting things from there. So tell me, Garrett, how do you spend your weekends, right? And I think that's something, honestly, as someone who is uh, based in Singapore, I'm really jealous about. I think you're spot on, right? The only thing that I can really do is the malls and yeah okay a few of the parks um and you know one of the things i was telling my wife it's walks would be so much more enjoyable in sf weather right where you don't sweat it there's the breeze so you know i'm sure you know you guys really enjoy your weekends what do your weekends look like the older your kids get the more restraints you have on your weekends so oh I mean, okay. when they were like below, both of them were below three, like, mm-hmm. hey, let's go to Santa Cruz or let's go to Half Moon Bay. I felt we were just going somewhere every weekend. But mm-hmm. as they get older, they want play dates with their friends, you know, and then both of them want separate play dates. Like, no, no, this one's not my friend. My younger <laughs> one will talk if she has to go for her older one's play date. So my husband, okay, like, let's put up, you bring this one, I bring that one. They get interested in things like, oh, I want to try a ballet class. Oh, I want this. And then, you know what? Like, your weekends start to get eaten up. So then I feel like we are kind of at that stage of, like, transitioning into having slightly older children, slightly, three and five. And my husband just commented that day, like, hey, we haven't been out for a long time. You know, we should go. And then we both said, okay, but we ended up sleeping. So, (laughs) so... Yeah, it's so true. I, I I think, you know, as a parent, especially, you know, when the kids are younger, sometimes the most valuable asset or gift is sleep. So Karen, you're now on sabbatical. Is there anything that you are looking forward to or anything you're enjoying? Having space for deeper conversations. If you have space in your life to start taking stock, some of these conversations go further, even further. Then when you're locked in that like, no, no, like I'm, you know, it feels tight. I think a lot of us operate with this feeling of very like tightness and constriction and trade-offs. And actually we have a lot more freedom than we think. I think this time has also made me a deeper listener, a better coach, a better mom. And I can say yes to more life-giving things as well, you know, without necessarily having a productive angle. And your life is now, your life is not later. And that's why I like to think, and tell people, right? Like sometimes they think, okay, if I get this job, I'll be happy. Or if I get this much money, I'll be happy. But this is endless. Like your life starts now. So you had this question in the PowerPoint then, and you said like, if you're so bored, like what would you put? And I thought about that question. It would be give yourself permission to change. I say that because you're always changing. Having a new human in your life, like never had it before like do you know like what you want do you know how you want to parent do you know like the side of your spouse that it brings out no 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 like you don't know anything right like you're always going to change what you thought you were is different and having a child is one of those events where who you thought you were might not be the same some of it might be some of it is not and you are going to take time to figure that out you're not going to figure out overnight and then make all the right decisions and optimize your life perfectly. Like, no, that just doesn't happen. Like, permission to, like, loosen, like, those expectations and have fun in that change. And then 
again, things will change and you'll be like, hey, today maybe I need a sabbatical. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that shows that you're growing. I love that. And I think there's no better way to, to wrap up our conversation with those words, right? Give yourself permission to change. Now, Karen, for some of our parents who are listening who would love to connect with you, how can they best do that? I would love to have more of those conversations with other parents or parents-to-be. So look me up on LinkedIn and let's connect. Certainly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Karen. This was a really enjoyable conversation. I myself learned a lot about it and also inspired me to think about when I might want to potentially take a break. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tsingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.